Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello there, everybody. What Culture's Adam Cleary here, and Star Trek is great. But if there's one thing better than Star Trek, it's pointing at a long-running TV franchise and going, oh, look, there's that person. Yes, as one of the longest-running entertainment franchises on the face of the Earth, and theoretically beyond that, it stands to reason that Star Trek has had its fair share of guest stars over the years, the vast majority of which were just people who were guest stars for their entire careers. But some of them, some of them went on to do more. Not only that though, but Star Trek has such a cult following that a lot of established, interesting actors actually don't wait for the call. They ring up the producers themselves and go, can I, can I please be on Star Trek? Between the heavy makeup, the alien disguises, the bit parts, the blink and you'll miss a moment, it's actually pretty hard to keep track of all the major stars who've had a spot on Star Trek over the years. But I'm going to try because my name is Adam Cleaver and these are 10 major stars you won't believe have featured in Star Trek. Number 10, Kirsten Dunst. Yes, the transition from breakout child star to bona fide actual actor with a fairly normal life is a difficult one to make. And for every Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Kirsten Dunst, there's just as many like Macaulay Culkins and Lindsay Lohans and Adam Cleary's. In 1993's episode of The Next Generation, Kirsten Dunst stars as a telepathic alien who is the very central focus of the entire episode. For someone at such a young age, such a burgeoning part of their career, it was a fairly big role for one of the most watched television shows of the time. And better yet, not only did she do that, but she was so good in it, that got her her interview, her audition rather, for Interview with the Vampire. And I don't have to tell you who Kirsten Dunst is now, do I? Like one of the most critically acclaimed actresses of her generation. She was in Melancholia, where she was lying in the moonlight, that slightly weird scene. She kissed Spider-Man upside down, that one, you know who it is. Number nine, Sarah Silverman. Far from the mere cameo she apparently asked to be given, Sarah Silverman actually was a main part of Voyager's doubleheader Future's End way back in 1996. She stars as a Los Angeles-based astronomer who accidentally comes into contact with the crew and ends up helping them in their quest to get back to the 24th century. It's always good fun when the Star Trek crews of the future end up goofing around in our painful everyday present, but this episode, or both parts of it rather, are considered a critical high point of Star Trek Voyager, and part of the reason for that is Silverman's excellent performance. The culture clash she gets, especially with Tom Paris, is one of the reasons it's so good. And more than that, it's always interesting when you take somebody from a well-established background, in Silverman's case, comedy, and put them in something completely different. In this case, drama slash sci-fi slash driving a little mini bug thing, beetle. It's called Shagamagan. Number eight, Andy Dick. Now, I've got to hold my hands up here. In 1998, I was a young, rebellious person starting to watch things that their parents didn't really want them to watch. So I was becoming loosely familiar with Andy Dick's sort of 
controversial style of comedy when out of nowhere he just appeared in Star Trek Voyager. Yes, again, one of the critical high points of the show, Message in a Bottle sees the crew able to send data back to the Alpha Quadrant, not data, the android data is in like the concept of information and unable to do a transporter pattern or anything like that, they instead send the Doctor's holographic program. He finds himself materializing on the bridge of an empty starship. Needing help to thwart the Romulan plan that's going on, he turns to the only person he can, that ship's version of the EM8, the emergency medical hologram. And wouldn't you just know it, they replaced the Lewis Zimmerman model with, I forget the guy's name, but it's literally Andy Dick. Now, far from being Star Trek Voyager's usual pattern of just, oh, isn't this sad and scary and we're stranded, no, I hope we can get through it. This is a comedic, double header where they just bicker with each other and argue and then literally compare the sizes of their holographic penises. Literally. Now, of course, Robert Picardo and indeed Louis Zimmerman are the definition, the definitive performances of the EMH as they reprised it in Star Trek First Contact. But I don't know, this is really good. I, I hope it's not canon that they got rid of it because I kind of like the idea that in the forthcoming Picard series, there were just loads of starships out there zipping around with Andy Dick in their medical bay. Number seven, Tom Hardy. A master of physical transformation, so it's quite possible you don't recognize this as being the same man who was Bane and Bronson and Ames in Inception. Tom Hardy, as a young man, as a young Star Trek fan, got what he thought was going to be his big break role in Star Trek Nemesis. It wasn't, but still. He plays Shinzon, a Romulan clone of Captain Picard, who has led the Remans to an unlikely uprising. He is thin, he is svelte, he has shaved his head. He is supposedly a younger version of Picard who is out to erase the man from which he takes his genetic material in order to establish his legacy and then get on with the trivial matter of wiping out the Federation. And the thing is, while people look at that and think, oh, that's Tom Hardy, I didn't recognize him physically, the performance is so good and so far removed from things he's done elsewhere that it's very easy to forget him because the performance is just unlike anything else. It is a really, really good role in an otherwise, I'll be kind, quite average film. Thankfully though, the slight flop that this was didn't really hurt him. You've probably heard of him doing other things since then. Probably. Number six, Ken Jenkins. Yeah, Scrubs Dr. Kelso is nothing if not slightly typecast. Every single role he gets sees him playing a hard-headed, grumpy authority figure with a well-hidden soft side, I might add. And then, in Star Trek The Next Generation, he got the role as Dr. Paul Stubbs, a grumpy, hard-headed authority figure with a well-hidden soft side. Jenkins here, who apparently did not age a single day between this and Scrubs, plays a man who inadvertently kicks off hostilities with a race of microscopic organisms. He is given a degree of heavy lifting for the season three opener. And in typical Star Trek fashion, he is taught a vicious lesson in humility. And again, in typical Star Trek fashion, he gives a pleasing monologue about how he has learned his lesson and how you could learn a lesson as well. Now, he's not the biggest star on this list by any stretch of the imagination, but he is such a recognizable figure for having done one TV show. So it's just nice to look at how his career path somehow wound its way around Star Trek as well. Number five, Famke Janssen. Famp Janssen, and despite the fact I've done like 20 plus lists, including that name, I'm still only about 80% sure that that's how you pronounce it. Sorry if you're watching. She had a good part in Star Trek long before she was ever in the X-Men. But it's fair to say that Star Trek is pretty good at tackling serious societal matters. Sci-fi has always been a great mirror to hold up against society, but 
We've got to be honest here, guys, no matter how big a fan we are of the show, they majorly dropped the ball on this episode. They've got some positives out of the way, to be fair about all of this, even though she was just breaking into the acting world and was still yet to fully master the English language, according to her. She's brilliant in this episode. She received universal critical praise. Now, the slight problem here is that she plays a beautiful shapeshifter whose arranged marriage is set to bring peace to the galaxy. Now, that is a harrowing story. She has to literally conform to fit into this thing, even though it's got nothing to do with her. But the entire episode is just about Picard's loneliness and the fact that she is in an arranged marriage and is a shapeshifter and is doing all this stuff, even though she doesn't want to, is largely presented as a good thing. Not the end of the world, of course. I just think if you're basically building a character whose entire reason for being is she can literally transform herself to the desires of any man she meets, regardless of whether or not she wants to do that, you maybe have to go, ooh, is that cool? Because it's not really, is it? Anyway, moving on. Number four, Mick Fleetwood. Don't really know what to say about this one. Mick Fleetwood, the drummer and co-founder of Fleetwood Mac, who produced Rumours, one of the greatest albums ever made, IMHO, is in Star Trek. Rack your brains, try and have a think. Who was he? Nope, not getting... Even if you know Mick Fleetwood, even if you can picture Mick Fleetwood, you're drawing a blank, aren't you? Where was Mick Fleetwood in Star Trek? I'll narrow it down. Star Trek The Next Generation. Still, still nothing, can't picture him, can't find that face in your memory banks. He was the fish. He was, he was the fish. He was the big fish in that episode that drank all the other little fish out of the big drum of disgusting. He was the fish, Mick Fleetwood's Fishwood Mac. That's all I've got. Number three, Jason Alexander. Now, remember when I said before that sometimes people don't wait for the call to come, they just pick up the phone and hope their own level of celebrity will allow them to get onto Star Trek. Well, George from Seinfeld was a huge Trekkie, and then with Star Trek Voyager getting into its latter run, decided, I ain't waiting any longer, picked up the phone and said, please, can I be on Star Trek? And his wish was granted in 1999 when he played the head of the fabled alien think tank. Alexander plays one of the smartest beings in the entire known universe and plays the role in such a different, detached manner from how he is on Seinfeld. It is... It was not a tour de force performance, but it's certainly, what's another word? Good. Apparently, story goes, he'd actually asked a couple of times in the past, but had gone, play this gross alien, play this weird looking thing. And he was holding on for something that at least looked human. So we could, I don't know, look back on it and be like, that's me, that is. And Mick Fleetwood would be sat next to him going, huh, look at you. I mean, it's not like there's no makeup there whatsoever. I mean, it is definitely still George from Seinfeld, yes, but also that was three hours in a makeup chair and apparently he would then go and scare his children with it after they'd finished filming. So, I don't know, what a weird guy. Number two, The Big Show. This popped the tits clean off me when I first saw this in Star Trek Enterprise. You always, you always heard about the Orions, didn't you? The slave girls, the green skin, but you didn't really see too much of them. Then in Enterprise, they made them a big focus. And what is a bigger focus than the world's largest athlete, Paul White, the big show, as wrestling fans call him. Probably the easiest job in acting this. You're playing like this thuggish slave trader who doesn't really want anything other than a wad of cash and some sexy green alien babes. So you take the big show, you coat him green, and then that's it. That is literally the entire part. He doesn't really have to do any acting. Now, I mean, I have seen the big show act in some WWE things, and he's not, like, he's not terrible. I'm not saying they should have given him something Shakespearean, but he could have probably handled a few more lines than the ones they give him. But I guess if you just want a big giant dude who's going to punch Archer in the face, that is the man you phone. And can you imagine how small a phone looks in the big show's hands? Hello? Number one, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. 
He is now the most bankable star Hollywood has to offer. Previous to that, he was the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. But somewhere in the middle of all that, he hit the rock bottom on 7 of 9 in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. My heart. My teenage, teenage heart. Basically, Seven of Nine with her enhanced humanoid abilities like increased strength, speed, all of that cool Borg stuff you get to keep when you're unassimilated. She is captured and pitted in a fighting arena against another champion from another world, in this case, literally The Rock. Now, the episode is trying to say a lot of very interesting things about blood sports and the human cost of all of that. And are we sat at home comfortable in the 20th century really any better than this civilization that is depicted to us as being rather barbaric? But me sitting at home was just like, Oh my God, he sort of did a wrestler's entrance and the people's eyebrow and hit his finisher all on an episode of Nerd Stuff. Yay! To say Star Trek did a good bit of casting here would be an understatement so big you could see it from actual space. The guy, the character, is just like a charismatic wrestler and they cast a wrestler with more charisma than all the other wrestlers. It's perfect. Best part about all of this though is that The Rock of course agreed to do all of his own stunts because that's pretty much literally his job and all the rest of the cast, Jerry Ryan included, was said to be feeling the effects of this for days and days after they finished filming. Take it from somebody who works on the wrestling channel, right? I know it's not real, but that stuff hurts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.